Hey everyone, welcome to another weekly recap. My name is Corey Babechko. My husband Matlock is joining us today. Um, and you know, we are going through the Bible in a year. Today we are looking at all of our assigned reading that you know has come in this previous week. So that's Genesis chapter 48 to Exodus chapter 21. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Are you sure you're yeah, ready? Lay it on me. There Let's is go. a lot of stuff. I know. There's always a lot of stuff. I know. There is. Yeah, it's that, a lot. That's one of the, the challenges of a reading plan that goes through the Bible in a year. There's a lot of stuff every week. A lot of stuff. I know. Which is why we're here. Yeah. Make because it easier. if the lovely folks watching have gotten behind on their mm. reading, we understand. We understand this plight. Yeah. yeah. That's why we started it. So point. here we are. All right. Here we are. Okay. We finished last week in Genesis chapter 47 with Jacob and the Israelites coming to Egypt. Yes. To live in the land of Goshen, the Eastern Nile Delta region. And now here we are. Genesis chapter 48. So Jacob, who is now living in Israel, he is getting close to death because he's old. He's an old man at this point. So he blesses Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as if they were his own sons. Mm -hmm. So he essentially adopts them because Joseph doesn't need his blessing, essentially. Yeah. And blesses them rather than blessing Joseph, who already is second in the kingdom of Egypt, right? And Jacob switches the blessing and gives the firstborn blessing to Ephraim, yeah. who is the secondborn, and gives the secondborn blessing to Manasseh, right. who is the firstborn. So there's this overarching theme in Genesis of the younger being more prominent than the older, right. or a lot of times even more righteous. So it starts right away with Cain and Abel. And it goes all the way to, to the end here with Ephraim and Manasseh. Or I guess right. used to be Manasseh and Ephraim, but we always say Ephraim and Manasseh now. Which is culturally not supposed to be the case. No, it was not supposed to be right. the case. So it's counterintuitive yeah. to what humans have made to be the case. Yes. Right. Yes. Which is important. Okay. So Genesis chapter 49, Jacob then gives blessings and prophecies to all of his sons before he dies. Mm. So essentially the 12 tribes. Right, and then Judah Israel. gets it great. Judah gets it great. Judah gets it great. Everyone else is like, oh man, Ew. poor guy. Even Benjamin, Ew. right? Just like your devourer of like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like, yeah. okay, yeah, wow. Which actually ends up kind of becoming true. It with, does. In this in Samuel, for Samuel and stuff. It, it definitely does. Yeah, the judges. Yeah, judges. Yeah. Man, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin has some some rough times <laughs> in judges. Yeah. They, they go down a very dark path. Right. That will come later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Genesis chapter 50. Jacob dies mm -hmm. and his dead body is mummified according to the practices of Egypt on Joseph's orders. And then after the 110 days of the process and the mourning, um, the family plus a big Egyptian mourning party travel out of Egypt to Hebron to their ancestral family tomb, Abraham's tomb, the cave of Machpelah, mm. to bury him in Machpelah. Um, Joseph's brothers are briefly afraid of him because they're like, ooh, now that Jacob's dead, <laughs> yeah. is he just gonna, is he gonna turn on us now? Yeah. But he doesn't. We're also told that Joseph dies when he's 110 years old, um, but he was able to live to see his great-grandchildren. Um, and he made, though he was buried in Egypt, he made the Israelites swear to him that 
when God bring, brings you out of Egypt, when God calls you out of Egypt, bring my bones with you. Right. Bring my body with you. So he's, he dies, he's mummified and placed in a coffin right. in Egypt. So I think one of the interesting things about Joseph not leaving is it's kind of like a captain going down with a ship. Like Joseph is the reason that Israel is there in the first place. Right. He's not going to leave them there. He's right. going to leave with them, which is interesting. That's very good. All right. Exodus chapter one. So a pharaoh, many years later, a pharaoh comes to power who... Um, didn't really care about the history of the Israelites in Egypt, didn't know Joseph, doesn't really care. So this is likely a new dynasty, so not a descendant of the Pharaoh who knew Joseph, because right. then he would have known about him. And the problem here for this Pharaoh is mathematical. There are a lot of Israelites. Uh, and their loyalty to this new dynasty seems to be in question. So if these Israelites decide to side with the enemies of this new dynasty, of the Pharaoh's new dynasty, they could potentially overtake that dynasty. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Right? So they're really, this Pharaoh tries three ways to solve this issue. First, forced labor. He basically enslaves the Israelites. He puts slave masters over them. He makes them like, uh, he makes them build things with brick and mortar, including making the bricks. And he assigns them to field and farm work. Um, when that really doesn't lessen their numbers, not a lot of them are dying from that. Or at least their birth rate is high enough that as people are dying, babies are being born. So it's not really affecting their overall right. numbers. So he tells the midwives uh, of the Israelites that they need to kill baby. They, they need to kill the baby boys when mm. they're born. They don't. Um, then Pharaoh decides to get other Egyptians. When you see Hebrew baby boys, throw them into the Nile River, which is very brutal. Yeah. So in Exodus chapter two, we have Moses. Uh, he's not called Moses here, but we have a, a baby boy born into a Levite family and his mother manages to hide him until he's too old to hide. He's probably too loud, right? right? He's three months old. So she puts him in a waterproof basket in the reeds of the Nile, so probably on the edge of the Nile River. Right. Um, I guess she, pitched like an arc is the resemblance yeah. to the arc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she puts him probably where she knew he was going to be found, mm -hmm. specifically by Pharaoh's daughter. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter finds him and decides to rescue him and ends up hiring um, his mother, Moses' biological mother, to nurse him. So essentially raise him until he's weaned, so about three years old. Right. And it's Pharaoh's daughter who names him Moses. Also in chapter two, Moses is an adult. He goes to see the Hebrews and he's seeing their plight, how the Egyptian taskmasters are very harsh over top of them. Um, and he ends up killing an Egyptian um, taskmaster, I guess you right. would say. In like a heat of passion, essentially. Yes, he kills him and hides the body. Uh, the next day he learns that the Hebrews all know that he killed this guy. Um, and they've spread the word and Pharaoh finds out as well. And so because Moses has sided with the Israelites rather than the Egyptians, Moses is now an enemy of the state. That's mm -hmm. an act of treason. So he leaves 
he runs to Midian where he integrates himself into the family of a priest in Midian, marries his daughter, the priest's daughter, right, named Zipporah, and has a son named Gershom. Um, we're told also a lot happens in Exodus <laughs> 2. Yeah. We're told also that the Pharaoh dies in Egypt and that there's a note that the Israelites groaning under their captivity is reaching God in an active way now. Mm. God's actively getting ready to rescue them from Egypt. All right. Still good? Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Good. Nothing so far. Everything seems normal. Exodus chapter 3. God calls Moses from a burning bush on Mount Horeb. Not normal. Sinai. Yeah. <laughs> Mount yeah, Sinai. Right. And his bush won't burn up, so Moses goes over. It's, it's weird. And God tells him, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, who am I to go to Pharaoh? In other words, oh, no. Like, no, who, who am I to go? Yeah. And God goes, no, I will go with you. And when it happens that you come back here and worship on this very mountain, you will know that I am God. Right. This is a lot like when Jacob was going to Laban mm -hmm. and came back. With the whole Bethel thing yes, where yeah. God gives Jacob the vision of Bethel. Yeah. And and Jacob's like, if you bring me back here, I will build an altar to you. And God's like, okay, you're going to go. And when I bring you back here, you're going to worship on this mountain. Right. Uh, Moses goes, well, basically, what's your name? Who am I supposed to tell? If the Israelites ask me who has sent me, what am I supposed to say? And this is when we get, we get the I am who I am. am. Yeah, or I am that I am. Yeah, right. the, the Yahweh name. Um, he tells Moses to gather the elders of Israel, give them this message, the I am right. who I am sent me, then go to the Pharaoh, and after signs and wonders, the Pharaoh will let you go. Right. Exodus chapter 4, Moses is still talking to God. What if they don't believe me? <laughs> right, right? Yeah. And God makes Moses' staff turn into a snake and back into a staff. He makes Moses' hand leprous and then back to normal. Um, he also tells Moses to take a cup of water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground and it'll turn to blood. Um, and then Moses is like, but I'm not good at speaking. Yeah. And he's and, like, who made your mouth? Yes. God's <laughs> yeah. like, I made you. I yeah. will help you as I yeah. need. Um, and Moses is just like, Please send someone else. Mm. And God gets angry at this point and he's like, look, Aaron's already on his way to meet you. Yeah. So he's going to be your spokesperson to Pharaoh. Um, and God, God had already told him, he's like, the Pharaoh who wants you dead is dead. So you can go back now. And, okay. Yeah. No, go no. ahead. Okay. So the Pharaoh that he's about to meet, who he does not know, mm -hmm. who do you think this Pharaoh is? This is a can of worms. I know it you is. You know this is a can of worms, right? Oh, I'm bringing it up now. You're you asking me who I think the Pharaoh of the Exodus yeah, is. Yeah, I'm not asking you who it is. is. That's who you think it is. Who I think. Yeah, obviously I don't know who it is. <laughs> I was not there. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm not an Egyptologist, uh, obviously, but I, I love reading everyone's right. theories and everything. And right now, I think Douglas Petrovich um, – uh, who is an Egyptologist and a scholar, has a really solid theory that this could be Amenhotep too. Okay. So uh, Douglas Petrovich, you can, if you're really interested in this, you can look him up on academia.edu. He's also done some work for the Associates for Biblical Research, and they have a website, uh, which I think is biblearchaeology.org. But you could just look up the Associates for Biblical Research. Uh, yeah, he's written really compelling stuff right. on Amenhotep. Two. Okay. Um, yeah. 
especially right. based off of the reign of the pharaoh beforehand and also how the pharaohs before Amenhotep II, their throne names were things like Tut Moses. Right. <laughs> Moses, right? Like right. we've got we've got popular but that's not that's just one like little tiny thing that he has a whole theory based off of writings and timing and and the economy of Egypt and and the dynasty changes. So it's really interesting. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So Moses meets Aaron in the wilderness. We have that weird bridegroom of blood incident with Zipporah where she has to circumcise Gershom. Yeah, that's I always imagine that be like yeah, a very un unfortunate, unexpected instance. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Well, and we see here that a pagan, the daughter of a pagan priest understands faithfulness to a covenant. Right. Even when Moses decided not to. Mm -hmm. I mean, Moses, to be fair, he was raised Egyptian. He's like 80 at this point. Too. Yeah, he's old. You think about that. Yeah. yeah. I know. This guy. It's been years, so he just kind of just like, <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, he probably figured he wasn't Israelite anymore. Yeah. yeah. He's he was just, an outcast from both. From both, yeah. So you can Nana. understand his, uh, the reason why he didn't do it. Yes. Yeah, it's understandable. Okay, Exodus chapter five. This is Moses' first request to Pharaoh to let the people go. Yeah. Um, and at first he couches it as, let us go a three-day journey in the wilderness to sacrifice to God. Um, Pharaoh, as a punishment to the Israelites, takes away their provision of straw to make mud brick and says, you have to get the straw yourself. Right. So straw was a tempering agent. Um within the mud bricks and it made them strong so you cannot not have it right in there so now they were going to have to keep the quota of bricks the same but now source their own straw right exodus chapter six uh after moses goes to god with the people's complaint like you've made things worse for us here in egypt i thought you were <laughs> yeah. trying to help us yeah, right you've made things worse god promises to save them now he, he's he's going to save them from their slavery they're right. not just going to get reprieve and go worship in the wilderness he's going to rescue them from their slavery we get the genealogy of aaron and moses which establishes um aaron's connection to moses and his ability to be his spokesman kind right of thing. uh exodus chapter seven uh moses goes to pharaoh and then the snake thing happens so there's this battle between moses and his staff and his miracles and the pharaoh of egypt's Stabs and their miracles and what they can um, recreate. Right. So you've got the first plague in Egypt, which is the Nile turns into blood. Pharaoh is unaffected by this, yeah. and they decide to dig water beside the Nile instead. So they can still dig wells, and their well water is fine. It's just the water of the Nile that is undrinkable. In Exodus chapter 8, we've got the second plague, which is frogs. Frogs right. come up out of the Nile, and there's just so many frogs. Um, and what's going to happen is Pharaoh is the pattern is going to be that Pharaoh relents and he's like, please pray your God to stop this plague and then I'll let Israel go. And then he's like, no, just kidding. Yeah. But every time too, he hardens his heart. He hardens his heart 10 times. Yes. For with every plague. He just, right. Yes. Yes. Which maybe we can talk about after. Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah, let's, for sure. Let's talk about that. Uh, still in chapter eight, we've got the third plague of gnats. This is the first time the Egyptians couldn't um, reproduce the miracle. They right. couldn't make gnats uh, come out. Uh, the fourth plague is flies. And at this point, Moses and Aaron tell Pharaoh about like, the plague of flies is coming, but it's not going to affect the Eastern Nile Delta. It's not right. going to affect Goshen, where the Israelites are living. Uh, 
Exodus chapter 9, we've got the 5th, 6th, and 7th plagues, which are um, a plague on the livestock of Egypt, but not the livestock of Israel. Right. Uh, 6 is boils. Uh, 7 is hail. And um, God actually gives a warning to Pharaoh and has Moses tell him, "There's hail is coming today. So bring in your remaining animals and people from the field. Otherwise, they, they can die. They might right. die in the plague of hail. Um, and it, there's a note that those who feared God in Egypt did bring right. in their servants and their animals into shelter. Um, Exodus chapter 10, we've got the eighth and ninth plague. Eight, eight is locusts yeah. and nine is darkness. Three right. days of darkness in Egypt, except for in Goshen. Chapter 11 is the 10th plague. Um, Moses is really angry when he gives the warning of this plague and basically that all your firstborn sons will die. Right. Not just of the people of Egypt, but also the animals of right. Egypt. Um, chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, we've got the description of the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So for Israel to avoid the 10th plague, they had to have the Passover meal. Hmm. and put the blood of the lamb that they were going to eat on the doorposts of their house. Right. The plague occurs, and the pe Pharaoh kicks them out. Pharaoh's like, go, get out of my sight. Right. I don't, I, you're done. Um, and we're also told many other people left Egypt with the Israelites. Hmm. So. Um, and that brings us to the Red Sea Crossing. That brings us... That brings us to chapter 13, which we'll move into the Red Sea. Oh, process. right, right before it, right. Yeah. So anything you want to talk about? Well, the... Right, so he, throughout this whole process of the plagues, he's mm -hmm. being like, just tell him to stop, and he hardens his heart, right? He says no, and this whole thing. Now, there's two things that happen here. One, God said, I'm going to harden his heart. There's like mm -hmm. a prophecy. And the other part is, Pharaoh hardens his heart. So there's two, and what we've... What we've now done, modern speaking, is that we've made this a contention between free will and predestination. How could God interfere with our free will? Right. Now, I know that you have some little bit of insight to the culture of this time. Yes. Okay, so it's not to say that, you know, this is not a free will discussion because th those things underpin everything, but that's not the main point that's being said here. So, that, Well, I think to look at it like that right. is to take the scripture out of context here. Okay. Um. And the reason I say that is because in, in New Kingdom Egypt, and you can read about this a little bit. I, I always recommend to people, you know, if you're really interested in the in ancient cultures and in getting into the archaeology of the Bible, a really good one is the handbook, uh, the handbook to the Zondervan Handbook to Biblical Archaeology. That's a really good one to get. Okay. Um, I know for a fact it talks about this in that in that book. It's it's nice. It's a it's an introductory guide. It's pretty good. Okay. So uh, specifically in, in the time period of the New Kingdom Egypt, there was a religious practice of putting, um, when you were wrapping, when they were wrapping mummies up for burial, they would put an amulet over the heart in the linen wraps. And the amulet had um, essentially a magical incantation on it. The belief in Egypt was that when the person died, in order to get into the afterlife, their heart had to be weighed on the scale. I think it's of Anubis because Anubis is the god of the underworld. Right. Mm, I think I think it's the scale <laughs> it's of Anubis. While, it's right. been a while. But there was a scale and their heart had to be as light as a feather. If it wasn't as light as a feather, they were not qualified to enter into the afterlife. Right. And so they, they were kind of wandering around. 
Um, so they, the priests of Egypt, when they were making the mummies, they first of all, they would leave the heart in the mummy and they would purify it. They would do a purifying ritual over top of it. And this incantation on the amulet was a hardening of the heart incantation. And the idea was purify the heart and then harden it, solidify it right. so that it can't testify negatively against the person when it was being weighed right. on the scale. So it's like a form of like saying, this is the moral status of the person. Yes. Yes. And it's, they've just been purified. <laughs> right. Here it is. Yeah. Your best foot forward. Your That's best right. heart forward, right? So in when Moses is writing this, he chooses to use the language, Pharaoh hardened his heart. In other words, he was testifying for himself. He was refusing to change right. based off of God and, and, and the pushback that was going on. No, I, this is who I am. I will testify for myself here. Then when it switches to God hardening Pharaoh's heart, it's as if God, it's as if God is saying, yes, you will face judgment right now, but it's not going to be the judgment of Anubis. It's going to be my judgment. Right. You will face my judgment. And it's very similar to in the days of Daniel, hundreds of years later, when Daniel's in the feast of, of uh, uh, Belshazzar, and the, the writing on the wall begins to happen. And it says, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. Right. You don't make the cut. Right. Right? So this is like using Egyptian literature and cultural and religious beliefs in order to show them God is the one who is judging. Right. And you're not passing. Right. Essentially. So I think it's I think it's important to know the it's, Egyptian cultural context of this right. concept of hardening the heart. Right. It's like no one back in like the time of Moses would be like, is it free will or is it predestination? Yeah. No, no, no. They'd be like, oh, God is God is the moral judge is judging Pharaoh yeah. where he's at right now because he gave Pharaoh chances right. to change, but Pharaoh has decided, no, I will be judged right. this way. I will be judged as I am right now. I will right. not change. My heart is hard. I will be judged this way. Right. And I will come out on top. Right. And God's like, yes, you will be judged right now, but you're not going to come out right. on top. Now, throughout the rest of Scripture, this kind of changes a little bit because you have people who are like, you know, God, they have a hardened heart, but God wants to give you a heart of flesh. We hear like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah. Well, God, yeah, because, right. because the idea is like you, you need to change. Yeah, that's right. You need to change. You're not going to get into the afterlife on your own merit. You need to change. Right. You have that repentive heart that we keep mm -hmm. talking about. It's really interesting. Because it is a common argument that people, not argument, but I guess it is somewhat of an argument yeah. that people will use to say, yeah. look, God, you know, this God predestines everything. Is it because God is always hardening Pharaoh's heart, right? And then I know that uh, Paul talks with us later on. But it's not quite exactly the same thing that you know people the type of Moses would be hearing. They would not yeah. be discussing this issue. Look, I think I think that there is a legitimate conversation to be had, obviously, yeah. about how much free will we have versus how much God determines for us. I think there is a legitimate conversation. I just think that we need to be desiring to understand the bible the way it was to be written and when we're when we're trying to so, when we're trying to solve a mystery 
the temptation is to go into the Bible and find things that sound like they answer right. our mystery and just use them to answer yeah, our mystery right. instead of looking at the scripture for what it is and going, okay, scripture, what are you trying to say to me? Right. And sometimes that involves looking into the culture from the time. Well, I think usually when you look at it from like the cultural perspective, but you often also anthropological perspective, it really helps deepen and uh, enrich the understanding of what they're talking about. Yeah. It doesn't take away from the free will predestination discussion because that one is so broad and overarching. Yeah. That one will be to the end of time by how people discuss that. Um, so by the same time, it's like it really gives you insight into what is actually being said yeah. and then throws to the back burner, oh, does this apply to free will and predestination? That's a secondary part of this. And I think that's important because I think so much that is lost on the cultural context does help bring to life what is actually being said there. Mm -hmm. And it usually fills in the gaps and makes it make much more sense. Yeah. Right. It usually is the driving force behind like a lot of poetic or theological statements that are being made. Mm -hmm. God being the moral judge of your life and all that you've done in your life is way more practical mm -hmm. than this, than the theoretical discussion of free will versus predestination. Yeah. Or I shouldn't even call it you know, sort of predestination, but yeah, how much control God has over your individual life. So it's connected, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, how much free will you have. But yeah, anyways. That's interesting, right? Interesting. Very interesting. interesting. Very interesting. Okay, Genesis, uh, Exodus. Exodus chapter 13. This is the consecration or the dedication of the firstborn sons of the animals and people. So there's this sacrifice instituted that, that like redeems their life as a reminder of how God provided for the firstborn of Israel to be alive in the first place. Right. In the Passover, he passed over them mercifully. It talks about the festival of unleavened bread that was supposed to be had every year um, around the Passover time. And this was to remind all of the, the generations that were to come about how God rescued them from Egypt. So they didn't right. even have time for their bread to rise. So they have to yeah. eat unleavened bread for a week every year. Um, uh, there's a note here that the Israelites were ready for battle. They expected that they were going to have to fight um, in the wilderness. They are heading towards the Red Sea crossing. God leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we're also told that Moses took Joseph's bones. He mm. took Joseph's mummy out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. Exodus chapter 14, we have this confrontation with Pharaoh's army where we've got these armed military uh, chariots coming out after Israel and then the miraculous Red Sea crossing that um, had the effect of people finally putting their trust in God and in Moses right. uh, because it literally saved their lives. In Exodus chapter 15, we've got the song of Moses and Miriam. Remember Miriam, Moses' sister, yes. his older sister. Can you sing that for us? Or is that, <laughs> stuff that you can, I yeah. wish I could. Yeah. I wish there was some melody recorded yeah. in the scripture there. Interestingly, Miriam's called a prophet. Mm. In Exodus here, she joins the ranks of Abraham. Abraham's also been called a prophet. Um, Aaron was called uh, the prophet of Moses, like right. a prophet, right? right. right? Um, we're told of the bitter waters of Mara. The people are in the wilderness. They need water to live. They can't go very long. They have children and young animals with them. Um, and God uses this opportunity of the bitter waters that he heals into fresh water as an opportunity to tell Israel, look, if you listen to me, I will heal you. I can heal you. If I can heal right. 
unpotable water, I can heal you. <laughs> Exodus chapter 16, food is scarce um, as the people are traveling. And so God sends quail at nighttime so that they have meat. And he sends manna in the morning. Right. So, what is this? Yeah, yeah. What is this? Yeah. No one knows. <laughs> yeah. No one knows. Miraculous bread from heaven. Right. We're told that Aaron kept some manna in a jar for future generations to see. And it, and it for some reason, didn't go bad. Right. Exodus chapter 17, Moses is told to strike a rock at Horeb for the people to drink because they were thirsty. And yes, they, the people also have to fight the Amalekites while they're there, which is pretty brutal. They're, they're starting to fight these different people groups that they're mm -hmm. coming across. Chapter 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to visit and he brings Zipporah and um her and Moses' sons, yes. and Jethro advises Moses to hire some help because yeah. he sees Moses' daily routine of sitting and having the Israelites bring cases before him. Like, can't, go, can't keep going on like this, yeah, Moses. Jethro's yeah. like, whoa, yeah. this is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. This is not a yeah. good idea, bud. Exodus chapter 18, Israel moves to camp in front of Mount Horeb, right. Mount Sinai. It's also called the Mountain of God in right. the Old Testament oh, from now on. Um, you know, people have to consecrate themselves for three days, making themselves ritually clean. They mm. put a border around the bottom of the mountain, so no one's allowed to approach it, only when they're told to approach it. So there's this establishing of yeah. like, holiness. He's back to where he first met yeah, the burning bush. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. God calls Moses up the mountain, and then he calls Moses and Aaron up the mountain. Right. Exodus chapter 20, we get the Ten Commandments. Okay. That's right. the highlight of chapter 20. Right. And this is this is a big issue because I know today people view the Ten Commandments like – some people even call them the Big Ten. Yeah. Like these are unbreakable things that you must always follow. Right. Now, this includes the Sabbath. This includes a bunch of other things here. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about the significance of the Big Ten. Let's do it. And its limitations here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are you, what's your thoughts here? So here we have uh, number four, the Sabbath, mm -hmm. right? The fourth commandment. Uh, so Israel gets these commands, these ten, that would be for everlasting. And we know later on in the New Testament, Paul talks about it, like you don't need to follow yeah. the Sabbath as strictly like you did. Yeah. So, okay, so what's your thoughts on that? Well, because Jesus fulfilled it. So, I mean, Hebrews talks about this as well. Jesus talks about it in the Gospels. He didn't come to abolish the law, yeah. um, but to fulfill the law. So, Hebrews talks about it, how the law itself is a shadow of Christ. Right. And when Christ comes, he is the real substance of it. Right. So, and then he sacrifices himself out of love for us and is resurrected. So just as Christ dies to the law and is resurrected to life, so we Christians, we die to the law and we are resurrected in Christ. Yeah. So we no longer have to follow the rules of the law. Right. So and what's interesting here too is I know a lot of people try to make uh, you know, the Big Ten foundational right. for Christians. Right. But what's really interesting too is when Jesus is asked mm -hmm. what the two most important commandments are, he doesn't even quote the Big Ten. No. Doesn't say, he actually yeah. quotes Deuteronomy 6, yeah. verse 5, yeah. and Leviticus 19, verse 18. Mm -hmm. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor mm -hmm. as yourself. That's Leviticus, the second mm -hmm. part. 
Um, and that's what's really interesting is what underpins the Ten Commandments. Yeah, what's supposed to underpin. What's supposed to the underpin. That's right. Are those is two? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's right. And, then and love, love your... your neighbor as yourself. That's right. That's I... it. Summarizes the whole thing. That's right. And I think that's often people can just forget that the Ten Commandments rests on that. Mm -hmm. You can't even have the Ten Commandments without those things. Yeah, that that's how the that's how the Ten Commandments are supposed to be interpreted. They're supposed to be interpreted through the light of loving God with all you are right. and loving your neighbor as yourself. So loving God and then loving mankind. Right. Um, and, and I mean, I don't think you're not going to find too many people who think that the 10 commandments are a bad idea or a bad, right. a bad list of things to develop a society around. Right. But these things can, these 10 things at the center of a society can create several very different looking societies i think depending <laughs> right. on how depending on how you decide to institute them right um so i think i think that's an interesting way too because when you look at the ten commandments there's nothing within the early christian church that is going against the well, ten commandments well that's right so there's nothing yeah there's nothing inherently wrong with this so when it says like for example like bear, don't do not bear false witness yeah that's a verbal lie to somebody else it's disrespecting both God, who is the moral judge, right. and your neighbor. That's right. But what's interesting, here's a loophole. You can lie to yourself and still not break the commandments. But but my point is here is like, you know, Jesus Christ would be like, hold on, that's you're still breaking the ten, right? That's yeah, what he does. Yeah. He always he really, ups the ante in Matthew chapter five, right. where he and makes I, it like it thought sins. Like you're you're also responsible for your thinking. That's right. Yeah. Some people are self deceived. It's like there's a reason why you've become self deceived, right? It wasn't just because randomly, right? Things yeah, just Romans out. chapter one. Right. You know, becoming hard in your conscience and, and essentially self deceived. Right. So yeah, the ten commandments are great and foundational for like a society. Yes. For so, yeah. Absolutely. Even for your life. Like yeah. these are good ideas. Yeah. That's these are right. godly ideas. They are moral ideas. But these are not the, the way in which we come into the presence of God anymore. Right. And it's not the way. That's right. And even with the Sabbath, like it was just a sign. It specifically says a sign. Yeah. For right for the for the people. And the sign was for what? Well, have Sabbath rest when we find out later in Hebrews and elsewhere in the New Testament for Christ. Yeah. We have a rest in Christ. And for this one day, and we see this in Genesis. Uh, Genesis uh, 2, where the Sabbath didn't have an end to the day. It's like this eternal rest of one day we will have with God together. And I think that's amazing. And that's kind of like the purpose behind it is to be a sign. And that's what's supposed to be retained. It's not just for like to rest for us. Like that's a functional practical it application. It's a very good idea. It's a very good yes. idea, but it's not the full purpose of it. Yeah. And that's what's important. Yeah. Um, and I think that... Uh, I know, sometimes people just overlook that part that's really important is that uh, it's not foundational for the Christian life. But, and I only say that, I'm not saying get rid of it, because I think a lot of people you're say, You're not saying, you say, like, make idols. That's yeah. not what you're saying. <laughs> you're not saying, like, yeah. go out and do the opposite yeah. of the Ten Commandments. No, because the Ten Commandments are great. It's just not what Christianity is built around. There's nothing in this that contradicts Christianity at all. That's right. It's, but this is not the way in which we come into the presence of God any longer it's because we're under we're under right. the new covenant we're under a a different priesthood right. like the levites were tasked with this priesthood with the right. old covenant but now we have the ultimate high priest which is Jesus Christ and, That's and, right. and he is arbitrating the new covenant which you know later in Exodus Moses will even prophesy later in Deuteronomy he'll prophesy explicitly yeah 
So. So yeah, I just thought something to talk about because yeah. I know some people are talking about getting rid of the Ten Commandments. Like, well, you don't need to get rid of it. No. It doesn't affect no, anything. No, 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 like, no. Like your Christian life is still built around these this moral application. Like, don't lie, don't mm-hmm. covet, and like the last two, don't covet and don't lie. Like, these are like the, especially don't covet. Mm-hmm. You can't actually see that. Yeah. There's no way to like see if someone's coveting something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is something that you yourself are responsible responsible for, like inwardly. And I think that's important too. Uh, you have the first four that are dedicated to God, yeah, right, directed towards God. Then you have the next authority comes to parents, which is number five. It's people. Then yeah. it's then it's people, and the last one, which is coveting and lying. These are really more like verbal and inward. Uh, things that don't necessarily affect, you know, someone absolutely like directly. If you covet something, you're not affecting someone directly in the moment of coveting, but it will produce something that will definitely affect someone else. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's interesting too, is that like it's, it's structured in a certain way um, that I think is important. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and, and just because we don't come into God's, just because we don't come to God through the law anymore, doesn't mean we shouldn't know what the law says and well, we shouldn't right. see the process by which God has brought about the salvation of Christ. Right. This is intensely important. I mean, when, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he talks about how all scripture is God God breathed right. and useful for teaching well, and correcting. Yeah. And like th- this is re- this is stuff we need to know. It's very important to understand where we've come yeah. from. Yeah, and you know, this whole new antinomian wave to like remove the law and stuff like have like nothing to do with it, and we're free from it. Yeah. But to the point where it's like. They're like, let's not even read it. Let's throw away the Old Testament. Pass. It's like hard pass. Do not think that's a good idea. <laughs> no, terrible idea. That is a very bad yeah. idea. That is that is a good way to repeat all of the bad experiences of the Old Testament. Yeah. Let's not do that. Even, yeah. Even if you're not a biblically minded person, to throw out history is a bad idea. Bad, bad idea. idea. Not recommended. No. Do not recommend. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess all that to say is, to p- tie back to what you're saying about Pharaoh, it's about the heart. Yeah. Boils down to the, the condition of your heart, and that always has been that way. And that's what's, that's what's been, even through the Old and New Covenant, that's been still been, what's been perpetual throughout it all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting. Even with Pharaoh, and it keeps, keeps going. Indeed. Yeah. All right, we have one more chapter left for this week. Exodus chapter 21. What, the slaves and restitution? Yes. Okay. So this was, this in chapter 21, it talks about Hebrews servants. So they were to serve for six years and then be let go, mm. uh, including his wife. Like, so if, if the slave had become a slave, a servant, slave, same difference in, in, in the sense of the word. Um, if they had become a slave while they were married, uh, let the wife and the, the slave go. Um, unless the, the slave, what, like you arranged the marriage of this slave. So essentially, if if a Hebrew became a slave of another Hebrew and he accepts a family life with the master, he's accepting to stay with the master for life. Right. Okay? So right. these are just cultural things that were going on. And there's, there's some rules about female slaves. Uh, female slaves who were also bought as wives, um, perhaps a second wife here or remarrying after your first wife died. So you didn't want another wife because you didn't want to take away the inheritance from her children. So just there was like all sorts of cultural practices that, that God and Moses have to mitigate Mm -hmm. here. So this law ensured 
that women sold as slave wives were given full protection as wives, right? Not as slaves. That's a big step. So if you buy if if you buy a slave as a wife, um, even though she didn't have wife status, right. she was a slave or a concubine or a secondary right. wife. They had full legal protection as wives, right? Or else they could leave you. No right. questions asked. And that was because they the slave were wife slaves. Could leave. And God was very clear on that. You were slaves. You can't treat people like mm -hmm. slaves. Mm -hmm. So this provided protection right. for women who were sold sold as slaves but became wives. Right. And that's like unheard of back then, from what I understand. Oh, for the protection? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's also laws about accidental death, purposeful death, meaning right. murder. Purposeful death. Yeah, yeah, murder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> purposeful death. Yeah. Yikes, murder and bodily injuries and everything in chapter 21. So there's okay. there's a lot of stuff culturally that becomes difficult for us to understand because we are so far away. But when we look carefully and we take our time, we can we can figure it out, especially with some good commentaries. Right. So, so yeah, that's Exodus chapter 21. All right, neat. Yeah, so we're going to get more into the law um, on next week's program. Until then, uh, let me know uh, if you did all your reading or if you are using this recap to get caught up this week let me know if you have any questions about the law about the exodus about what was going on and we will see you next week thank you so much for watching we want to keep producing high quality biblical content but we can't do it without your support if you feel called to support us please click the link in the description under donate your support really means a lot to us.